0: Thank you. We thank you. Can you uh, up there, young
1: man?
0: We thank you, Adonai, our God, because you have given to our forefathers
2: as a heritage a desirable, good, and spacious land. Because you removed us, Adonai, our God, from the land of Israel, you redeemed us from the house of bondage. For your covenant that you sealed in our flesh, for your Torah that you taught us, and for your statutes that you made known to us for life, grace, and loving kindness. You grant us, and for the provision of food with which you nourish and sustain us constantly in every day, in every season, and in every hour. For all Adonai our God, thank you and bless you. May your name be you blessed by the mouth of all the living continuously for all eternity as it is written, and you shall eat and you shall be satisfied, and you shall bless Adonai your God for the good land that
3: he gave you. Blessed are you, Adonai, for the land and for the nourishment. me. Um, mm-hmm. Have mercy, we beg you, Adonai our God. On Yisrael you your people, on Yerushalem, your, your city, on Zion, the, the resting place of your world, on the
2: monarchy of the house of David, your anointing, and on the great and holy house upon which your name is called. Our Father, our God, our Father, tend us, nourish us, sustain us, support us, relieve us. Arena, our God, grant us speedy relief from all our troubles. Please make us not And Arenay, our God, the of the gifts of human hands nor on their own. Adonai, but only of your hand that is full, open, holy, and generous, that we not feel any shame, nor be humiliated for our other. In the first paragraph in the pink please. May it please you,
3: and I our God, give us rest through your commandments, and through the commandment of the seventh day, this great
2: and holy Shalom. For this day is great and holy before you, to rest on it, and to be contented it, on it in love, as ordained by your will. May it be your word, our God, no distress, grief, or lament on this day of our eternity. Then show us, our God, the consolation of Zion, your city, the rebuilding of Jerusalem, your city, the city of your place, for you are the master of salvation and master of consolation.
0: And at the bottom of the page, you bring it home, brother. Rebuild Jerusalem, holy city, sign our days. Blessed are you and I, who rebuild Jerusalem, your city. Amen. Rick, if you'd be kind and of answer at the top of the
2: page. Blessed are you and I God, King of the universe, the Almighty, our Father, our King, our Sovereign, our Creator, our Redeemer, our Maker, our Holy One, Holy One of Jacob, our Shepherd, Shepherd of Israel, the King who is good and who does good for all. For every single day he did good, he does good, <coughs> and he will do good for us. He was bountiful with us. He is bountiful. He was bound He is bountiful with us. He is bountiful. With us, and he will forever be bountiful with us, with grace and with kindness and with mercy, with salvation, success, blessing, consolation, sustenance, support, mercy, life, peace, and all good. And of all good things, may
0: he never deprive us. Rick will read this responsibly with us.
2: The Compassion One. May He deliver us forever. The Compassion One. May He be blessed in heaven and on earth. The Compassionate One. May He be praised throughout all generations. May He be glorified through us forever to the ultimate ends. And be honored through us forever for all eternity. The Compassionate <laughs> One. May He be in and The Compassionate One. May bring the yoke of oppression from our necks and guide
1: us to wreck our land. The Compassionate
3: One. May He, May he a of from from heads 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 us our our heads heads to the he <laughs> <the> and <blessed laughs> this house and a one. May he the, the hand hand of the, the prophet, he is
4: remembered for good, proclaim to, to us good tidings, salvations, and consolations. Everybody, may it may be God's, God's will that this house not be shamed or humiliated in this world or in the world to come. May he be successful in all his dealings. May his dealings be successful and conveniently and close at hand. May no evil impediment reign over his handiwork, and may, may no, no semblance of sin
0: or iniquitous thought attach itself to him from this time and time forever. From your go- your mouth to God's ears. Rick?
2: The Compassionate One. May, may He bless, bless the, the master, master of this house, him. and lady, this house, the
0: house, and, lady, house, and, lady, house and, lady, and all that is theirs. The Compassionate One. May He bless me, my wife, my children, my grandchildren, and all that is mine. Ours and all that is ours. Just as yes. our forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, yes. and Jacob are blessed in everything, everything from everything, with everything. everything. So may He bless he all together with a perfect blessing. Let us say, Amen. Woo! Sing Back here. On high. Yes.
3: On high may merit pleaded upon them and upon us for a safeguard of peace. May we receive a blessing from Adonai and just kindness from the God of our salvation, and find favor and understanding in the eyes of God and man. If the compassionate one may he cause us to inherit the day that will be completely a Sabbath and the rest day for eternal life. The compassionate one may he make us worthy of the days of Messiah Yeshua and the life of the world to come. Power of salvation to his king and does kindness for his anointed to David and to his descendants forever. He who makes peace in his heights may he make peace upon us and
0: upon all Israel. Now be Amen. 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 Fear Adonai, you, his holy ones, for there is no deprivation for his reverence. Lions may want and hunger, but those who seek Adonai will not lack any good. Give thanks an Adonai, for he is good. His kindness endures forever. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Blessed is the man who trusts in Adonai, then Adonai will be his security. I was a youth, and darn I also have aged, and I have not seen a righteous man forsaken, his children begging for bread. Adonai with might to his people, Adonai will bless people with peace. Pass those books around to uh, Josiah, if you would, and we'll... Uh, Thank we'll you, Josiah. Thank you, Josiah. Pick those up. Yeah. Take you. care of those. I think the,
3: uh,
0: there are, there's only, uh, really insignificant announcements like, oh, Joshua and his wife are going to have a baby. woo oh, Praise God. As, uh, Oops. Yeah, Richard, don't pick up the couch. Not a bad so. thing. Don't pick up the rug. Don't pick up the couch. I know you want to. Just don't. Yeah. yeah. Next
1: year.
0: Next year, pick up the couch while she's sitting That's on That's right. That's right. You can do it. Yeah, but You can do uh, it. Vikings, yes. <laughs> Right. Um, 17 Tammuz is uh, fast day. Uh, normally, it's put off a day because of the Sabbath. So the eighteenth of Tammuz, which is on our calendar, the first of July, is a uh, is a fast day. Because that fast
4: day, we are not moving into our brand new house. Praise God. That Sunday, You're until July fourth. Um, so at the same have time, the, please don't come. Yeah, we would greatly appreciate anyone who is available. Come and help us move. If we don't, we don't. We understand it is a holiday, but we would love it.
0: And we're listening on the internet as well to show up. They are. To, uh, we we to
4: promise work. pizza and. Um, we show up anyway. That's, that's yeah. right. Fireworks. You have to food. show up to get the address, though. That's
0: right. Yeah. And the uh, 21st starts three weeks. The 21st does start the three. Thank weeks. Thank you very much. The, uh, first, the the first, first, first starts one. At the the, the uh, 21 days. <laughs> yeah, that's our uh, time between the straits. In the straits between the streets between the. And
1: um our there's some time. traditions
0: there, right? Um, probably not a good time to get married, engaged, all that kind of stuff. So You can't get uh, it.
1: And don't hit the rock.
0: Yeah, we're gonna talk about that. Don't hit the rock. We're gonna um, I think I think that's it, other than especially for those listening online, this is our last community Shabbat, Bella Torah, uh, in uh, until uh, july ends so we'll be off for july august, so august. second and fourth we're off on the second uh, shabbat in august we're back and uh i think i think that's it we've we got a show be, with us this week that's great we will be rejoining or restarting study class yeah. um, prior to 20 that date. 20
4: second we'll be on the, uh, 24th, 24th 24th of july, july. That's the, that's the third. second
0: to last yeah. appropriately uh, during Tuesday. The Songs of Consolation. That's right. right. And we're going to learn about the Sabbath of Consolation uh, with the... Uh, and how Messiah interacts the, with, with that. Yeah, using Handel's Messiah. I think it's just so cool. What a so We're We're, do we're do. hoping to have uh, musical instruments to lead the internet folks into uh, each lesson. I thought Juliana was going to
1: sing it for us. You know, I'm not <laughs> for she that. She has right? some. Yeah. I didn't realize that was yeah, well, That's nice. not a problem. Well, Yes.
0: Yes. Do we have any recording? Uh, no. Who,
4: Who needs a recording? We have the live. <laughs> Here it is. That's right. <laughs> At any point, drop a hat. as
0: you guys said. Oh! <laughs> yeah. Those never <laughs> 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 All right. Joshua, I think we have uh, Hukat. <laughs> Hukat. Which clarified the Hukat.
4: Joshua pointed this out. The grammar there, reason why it is Hukat and not Hukot, it's not commands or or statutes. It is the statute of something. So, hukat is in the grammatical thing that they do to um, attach it to another word. Nice. The hukat of the red heifer. Um, so, yes, we'll get started here. Uh, Sophia, when. What do you think about complaining? Is it a good or a bad thing? Bad. Bad. What are some things we should not complain about or not whine about?
0: Daddy's hairstyle. Uh-huh. Does, does mommy <laughs> ever tell you no whining?
1: Sure, and funny things we start to complain about. <laughs> just one thing, no, no, just no. one the thing. Things
4: like to, to give you insight. Like, careful, don't whine here.
1: Like, I don't want to go to bed. You know, it's something like I
4: don't like the food. Like you don't like the food, Ooh, right? Good. We don't want to complain. I then, do right? that too. Yes, your mommy and daddy worked very hard. to Teach you how to be very, very Thanks gracious in your response there. Um... Because complaining is bad, right? We don't want to complain. We should, what, 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 do you know what we should be instead of complaining? Do you know what word we're looking for? What do you say when someone gives you something? Thank you. Thank you. We should be grateful that was just quick. say thankful. She be knew thankful. how to say thank you very fast. She does. She knows exactly what she are supposed to do. Mm-hmm. So that's what we should respond. We should be grateful and not complaining. Because when we complain, that's like saying, it's not good enough. I don't want this. When you say thank you, it means... I appreciate, I, I'm thankful for the hard work that you put into this, and that you gave me something. Being thankful is very important. This week's parasha we learn about uh, complaining um, but I think a lot of it has to do with with hard times. This week's parasha um, has a lot of sadness in it. Miriam dies, Aaron dies they, uh, they have to fight a couple of battles Moses strikes the rock and things don't go so well um it's a lot of sad stuff happens, and sometimes I think when we're most tempted to complain, is when bad things are happening. We're most tempted to run away from God sometimes is the times. In the, we oftentimes say, "Well, I don't want to." You we know things are going well. We run the risk of forgetting God. That's why we thank God after the meal, we don't want to forget God when we are full and satisfied. But the proverb says, "Don't let me be too wealthy that I do, that I get God. But don't let me be too poor." And then I would steal and blaspheme God's name. So there's a danger on both sides. When we are going really well, we can be proud and think that we do it ourselves and that God's not a part of it. We can forget him. But when things are hard, that's also a time sometimes when we as, as people tend to think, well, I have a right to be upset. My life's not very easy. I have a right to be angry or I have a light right to complain or I have a right to, um, to look out for myself here. Yeah, because I, I need something. I, my life's been hard lately. Or sometimes it's tragedy. Bad, Really bad things happen to us. People lose loved ones. People lose jobs. They feel like they have a right to do things that are wrong. Um, that's our response sometimes. Do you have a comment, Sophia? Yes,
0: and also complaining is like when something that, like something to wear.
4: Oh, yes, we can complain about clothes too. You're right, we can. That's true. And these are all things we and should be And shoes to, to with, wear. And shoes to wear, right. But see, who gave you those clothes and shoes?
1: Mommy.
4: Mommy gave you clothes and shoes. She did. She worked very hard at her to find really good stuff for you. Um, and we should be thankful, right? We should tell Mom thank you. And that's, and that's I think, the lesson that we learn here is that when, when things are difficult, that's a test. That's a challenge. And we are called upon to be to rise above it. Rabbi, Abraham, uh, Rabbi David Forman had a great lesson on, on this passage last year in his uh, Aleph Beta, talking about Moses and saying you know, Moses his situation is really rough Miriam's death probably impacted him very strongly because Miriam was not only his sister but Miriam was the one who looked out for him when he was floating as a baby so I'm older sure he, older sister he probably heard these stories growing up you know well you know who who told us who made sure you were safe and who made sure that your mom got to nurse you growing up it was Miriam so he's got this special bond with Miriam. Mary. So Miriam's death probably impacts him very, very seriously. So in the in the in the, parash, in the midrash to talk about the story, they say that um, Moses goes around looking. You know, he can't find the right rock to speak to. He talks to rock, it doesn't work. And the people start to mock him, and he gets angry and he gets upset. So he just he hits the rock instead. Um, and that's exactly what happens when we have difficulties in our lives. We have shorter tempers. We're under stress. We don't react. And we have to be very careful in those times when we have difficulties or tragedies hit that we respond appropriately. Um, And we see here this portion that Moses doesn't and the people of Israel don't. They complain about the food. Well, why do they complain about the food? It's right after they've seen Aaron die. They've seen Miriam die. And on top of all of that, they try to go through the land of Edom. And they say no. And they have to go backwards. They have to backtrack a little bit. So they're very discouraged, and in that moment, then all of a sudden it's like, you know what, nothing's good enough. God's being mean to us, and I don't like what God's given me. And this is obviously not true, but this is the way that they were feeling, and they expressed that. And God doesn't take kindly to this, so instead they get punished for their, their complaining. Um, so it's a reminder for us, I think that when things are difficult, it, you know, we, are, we, we feel that need for God, but at the same time, it's a, it's a temptation to resist God, and we have to be strong. To, to trust that these things are happening for a reason. Yes, sir. Well,
0: I was—I was just going to say that uh, everything you just say is is very methodical and And one would think that as a young child grows older, they would recognize the intelligence and you know all that, and it, it just makes sense that. You don't want to argue with God. You don't want to talk back and complain about stuff that's been provided for you by God. Um, but the opposite of that to me, she's a loud girl. Yeah, very, very strong opinions here. Praise God, I appreciate yeah. the commentary. Look how feminist she is. Yeah. Um, juxtaposed with <laughs> with the common sense don't look a gift horse in the mouth and don't complain about what's been provided, would would of course be this red heifer, this super irrational command, which really, gee whiz. Beyond our understanding. Doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. The guy who makes the ashes becomes unclean so that somebody who is unclean can become clean by the same ashes that made this guy unclean. It just doesn't really make a lot of sense. Uh, But with a focus on our master, uh, the Rambam said, nine red heifers were prepared from the time this mitzvah was given until the destruction of the second temple. The first was prepared by Moshe, the second by Ezra, and there were seven from Ezra until the destruction of the temple. The tenth will be made by King Mashiach. May he be speedily revealed. Amen. May this be your will. Amen. And uh the commentary goes uh at least in this uh, particular uh, uh goes goes off on gee, why why did he put in what are these rules for for faith living, these these ten uh, points. Why would he put in something about his own personal prayer that Mashiach would come soon in our day? And it's evidently to teach us that this should be in our hearts and minds at all times. That uh, it's not merely to believe intellectually in Mashiach, in Messiah, but also actively await and yearn for His return. Second, um, if if we're not praying for Mashiach's coming, it's like you're not praying for life itself, right? And then third, uh, that. We need to not just hope and pray, but actually yearn for the Mashiach to come. And if there's anything that I've noticed about the uh, some of the Orthodox believers that we've read about and we've actually met, their yearning and focus on on Mashiach's coming I think puts most of Christendom to shame at times. Mm-hmm. It's almost like uh, you know the Old Baptist uh, focus of uh, I've, I'm washed in the blood. You know, I can live anywhere I want now because I've got this "quote unquote" fire insurance. Mm. And you know, to hope and pray and yearn for the coming of the is really not that much of a focus. You know? This is a, I think, a decidedly different point of faith than any other faith or any other religion in the world. You know, there there's Muslims, for example, which tend to be. Like the second largest faith now. They're they're not yearning for a Mashiach. They want through their own will, through their own strength, to bring a Calphate. Well and even those who
4: do have a messianic type character, it is oftentimes accomplished by
0: across themselves, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So um, I I just think that's a, a really good focus for the red heifer passage it is,
4: and it's interesting to mention Mashiach with regard to this passage because he shows up in multiple places here. I thought that the, the, the apostolic reading from John 3 was really good, talking about when like, Moshe raised up the serpent in the wilderness, that they raised up the Messiah. Yeah. There's actually a really cool pearl stringing you can do here because the word, when it says they put him on a pole, is an odd word. They put the snake on a pole. I saw it, anyway, because it's the word ness, which I... Sounded a lot like the word for miracle. I think it actually spelled the same, but it may have a great yes, vowel. Um, but the, the word shows up a lot of places, actually. Um, it's also translated banner. It's another translation. So, so it shows up in like Song uh, Songs, you know, like his uh, banner of me, you know, so Yes, uh, uh, Adonai Meseem, the um, Lord of my banner. But it also shows up in a really cool place in the book of Isaiah. And in, in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10, uh, it says, and it shall come to pass that day that the root of Jesse, which stands as a banner for peoples, to him shall the nations inquire, and his peace shall be with honor. And the word there stands as a banner for peoples. In Hebrew, it's Ahmad, stands, Lanes, same word, uh, mean, So it's like he is, a, he is a banner, a pole for the peoples. So it's the same word we see used here with the, with the snake, it says this idea, like Yeshua draws this connection to himself and the snake looking up at uh, at the pole and achieving physical salvation, uh, but that's not something that he's just making up as he goes along. There is this this passage, talking to the root of Jesse, talking about the which specifically calls him the same word. Um, but he will not just be for uh, for the normal people. Instead, it says that it is to the peoples in plural, and then to him shall the nations, the Goyim. So it's not just that he will be a banner for the people to look up to, the people of Israel to be healed and saved, but he will be a banner for the nations, Amen. which is really cool. Another thing that also, this passage begins with the red heifer and then goes through quite a bit of death. The red heifer teaches us about that when we touch a dead body, we become unclean, we have to go through this process. For the person who dies in the tent, so that's kind of the spontaneous um uh, stroke
1: victim, yeah. Well, it coronary, could
4: be coronary stroke victim, but it can also be someone who's you know in hospice care type situation. Mm-hmm. But it's a normal, uh, what do they call that? Natural death. Then mm-hmm. um, he says, well, if you touch a, a bone, you slay someone. You know, in war, it's a bone in the field. You know, these are like the, sort of the unnatural deaths. You know, you come across a, a victim of something, or in, in some cases, you are the one slaying them. And we immediately go into Torah portions. Talk about two natural deaths: Miriam and and, and haron And then we spend uh, the end of the Torah portion talking about conflict, about war. So it's like God has started this passage in the Torah portion by talking about here's the, the antidote, so to speak, for your activity. And then here's how it applies almost immediately, the practicality of it. And Yishai Fleischer has this really cool comment about the red heifer. He's saying the red heifer teaches us that the people of Israel conquer death. Like, they're an eternal people. Not in the sense that, like, they, you know... are are, uh they're not a people group that disappears but in the sense that like they live forever and the red heifer highlights this because the red heifer is about the idea of overcoming the uncleanness of death so it points to the resurrection in that in that way which i thought was a neat tie-in here and in, in that regard we know that miriam and Aaron and moses later they're not permanently dead Or as Yishai quoted from uh, The Princess Bride, they're mostly
0: dead. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Mostly. Mostly I would... I guess you have two points. One, um, I think everyone's pretty familiar over the years with the water stop, the well, Miriam's well. So they they had no more water after Miriam died. Um, The Midrash says that uh, when Aaron died... The cloud departed. No more cloud, and this is what the nation saw. It's like, oh, wait, wait, something changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they don't have any more cloud now, so maybe their gods is <laughs> not as strong, out with them, or whatever, because visibly they couldn't see it.
4: That could get a lot hotter in the desert without the cloud.
0: Uh, absolutely, yeah. And then when Mo dies, no more man. So um, hmm. pretty cool those those three things because each one of those righteous people brought something special from God to the people um, as the righteous most always do right? there's, a, there's a blessing because the righteous are in our midst um, but I I would go ahead and argue that uh, Aaron's death was natural I think it was unnatural I think the plain reading of the text indicates that when those priestly vestments were removed from that man he passed. It's as simple as that. What kept him alive? Those priestly garments. Took him off. Boom. Guy's dead. Could be wrong, but that's plain reading the text. And I don't think that we can argue that um, being God's anointed one provides. A, you know, it's just a special anointing. It's, it's beyond. I mean, he's the anointed priest, right?
4: uh, You can also look at it in that You know as God has Designed all of our days And they're written in the book before there is yet one of them Mm -hmm. He was not going to allow Aaron to die with those robes on Which Because then we have the Real serious theological problem
0: right Because he's supposed to be the one who's going to do that stuff So he had to
4: get He had to get them off of him Before he died so Mm -hmm. that there was a a Process Mm -hmm. that they had to go through to to maintain the burning yeah. Yeah.
0: one way or the other this was a timed event whether removing the garments caused the death or getting the garments off so that he could die without affecting the thing I mean the the high priest has s- extraordinarily special commands that apply only to him mm-hmm. that he may not touch it he may not mourn for you know close relatives and so forth and you know so I think I think Janet's right um, whether it's the garments that kept him alive. The garments needed to be needed to be protected uh, before he died. One way or the other, it was it was a timed event, and uh, that just helps me to appreciate the sovereignty of my God and His ability to time everything for His glory and for our good. And it's about
4: um, it's also about passing of leadership here too. Um, Absolutely, Aaron. As a, as a father, it's the amazing privilege of seeing his son take his place. Mm-hmm. And um, and the, the uh, one of the things Yishak Fleischer is pointing out is that, you know, Moses' terminology, when he refers to people, he refers to them as rebels when they, the, at the rock. But the word is very close to the same word as donkeys. Mm-hmm. Um, which, uh, and the point about that, though, is that the, the word for donkey is... It's, it's reminiscent of the previous generation. you know, stubborn. They were stiff-necked, whatever. And so Yishai Flesher was saying that, like, in his view, Moses sort of sees this new generation through the same prism as the old one. He's kind of still stuck in the old generation. That's not a criticism of Moshe Rabbeinu, but he was from the old generation. So he was sort of, he, he came out of slavery. And this generation needed a new set of leaders. They needed somebody to take them to the land of Israel. So this is the passing of the torch. Miriam dies, Aaron dies. At the end of the next Torah book, uh, Moses will die. And then this new generation is ready to be led by somebody different yes. into the land. Um, that's hard, for, I think, for leaders to pass that torch. And it takes um, humility and also discipline to realize that when you're training you're the next person, you're ultimately training your replacement. <laughs> But, uh, but that's the idea. The idea is that generation after generation kind of faithfulness, the next person hopefully lives up to the same standards you've set. And as a parent, like I said, imagining Aaron, they had to be, I mean, as much as he may not have wanted to die, getting to see his son in
0: those robes for the moment must have been mm-hmm. amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it, just as a quick aside, um, we've, we've talked here many times about the corruption of the priesthood. This is a clear indication of God's design. There's one high priest at any given time, and it's the son who takes over for the father. Mm -hmm. It's as simple as that. It's a really easy deal to do. How we have multiple priests in the corrupt priesthood at the time of our master is just a bellwether of what was going on there. So if we think that Judaism is pure as driven snow from this point until the destruction of the second temple, we're missing a whole bunch of history. The fact that they were killing one another, there's all kinds of intrigue and espionage going on, and you have a corrupt priesthood that's being sold by Rome. There's multiple folks It you've got one family that was going back and forth between son-in-law, son and so forth, um, back well, and forth and, for and 40
4: years. Judaism's credit today, they look at that time, a little embarrassment. Yeah, they recognize yeah, it was a mistake. Do. We, we had some problems. Um, I did. interesting, you bring up again, bring up to Messiah. M- Mashiach shows up in like at least three times in this passage. So we have the red heifer. Read the end of the book of Hebrews. He talks about specifically, let's go out to the camp, because Yeshua was killed outside the camp. There's only one offering that is actually slaughtered outside the camp, and that's the red heifer. Yeah. Red heifers. Um, yeah, it's, interesting. It's not dist- even an, an offering. Well, well, it is, sort of. But it's described as an interesting one. It's described as a, as a sin offering in a way. Um, which is interesting because Yeshua is also referenced that way by Paul, talking about him being at, at sin for us. The, well, the word there is, I the say, like euphemism for, um, for the sin offering. And the idea being that, like, with the red heifer, the red heifer is, it, it ultimately is cleansing the death. It is, I like, talking about earlier, the resurrection component. So you can see the obvious parallels to Yeshua in that. And there's even some who believe that in the saint, where they took the ashes of the red heifer, one of the areas they take it outside the camp to store it was the Mount Ballas. And there are some who believe that Yeshua's actual site of crucifixion was the Mount of Olives and not the uh, Church of the Holy Sepulchre um, Catholic area. Um, and they, they base this on, um, I've actually heard a really interesting teaching from, uh, from a, a guy, Mr. Anderson. He's a Swedish uh, TV guy. Anyway, he, he, I knew his son in Israel. And he, um, he has this whole thing on how you go back to the book of Jeremiah, the Mount of Olives is kind of associated with the idea of counting the head. So Golgatha, which is the, the head of the skull, being the, or the, the mount of heads, you know, whatever. But it's, it's the same Hebrew word used for counting, using count by head. So um, there's some. he, he has this whole idea of how the Mount of Olives is actually where died, which ties in so well with the red heifer. It's a really cool parallel. And the priest, when he, he's taking care of the red heifer, he's also supposed to have a visual to the Holy of Holies, um, which you can see from the Mount of Olives. You can see right down to the Temple Mount so there's that whole all of that imagery is all right there which is pretty cool um, but another place that we see Mashiach in this passage I did not know this until this year Rashi points this out very cool I think he pulls it from um, uh, I think it's Rashi who points it out anyway the Arizal is the one that actually says it originally so it may not be in the Rashi commentary I can't remember their timing um, the Arizal says that uh, the well of Miriam is not gone the well of Miriam moved it's now in the Sea of Galilee Canaret is the is, is at the bottom of the Canarid is the well of Miriam. That might sound kinda weird, like whatever, kinda cool, okay fine. But if you think about Yeshua's interaction with the Sea of Galilee, he walks in the Sea of Galilee. In the in the Cana of Galilee area he turns water into wine. I don't know. It just to me it's like it was so cool to think about like, if you know Paul talks about the rock being Mashiach. And uh, and so he kind of plays off of this whole um, Miriam tradition, to say that act Messiah's merit that gave us the water in the wilderness and so if we're associating that with the Sea of Galilee now I thought that was really kind of a cool mm-hmm. tie-in um, and then uh, before we um, left after lunch uh, Mr. Upland was mentioning a, a passage from uh, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, Yelkut Lazamin is it? that sounds right yes cool apparently yeah 40
0: volumes of coolness Yes. That we all need to go <laughs> But grab. one of the
4: ones he mentioned was one of the midrash from that portion, that group, that book, the commentary, is that when they, when Moses first struck the rock,
0: blood came out. And then water. And then water. Wow. Which, which uh, should immediately remind you of something else where blood came out and then water. Right. And you get the,
4: the water imagery That's from First so John and whatnot. Cool. So, um, again, this, this Torah portion is, is very heavy on Yeshua and on Mashiach in general, which is so fascinating because the whole portion is... Ultimately, about the mystery commandment. I mean, it is. It's not. It's. It's kind of weird if you read the very beginning of it um, when it talks about. I mentioned earlier the grammar as to why it's hukat not hukot, but um, what it says here, uh, it's not. Um, it it the way he phrases is it, it zot hukat, ha In other words, this is this is the. The statute or the super rational band of the Torah—it's so interesting that that's like it's like this. This particular one is of significance, and so this this whole Torah portion is almost like it's a it's like a code book about Mashiach, and we kind of get a lot of allusions to Messiah throughout this portion, and it's so it'd be fitting that this would be one that is beyond our understanding, something a little bit harder for us to grasp. One of the things that um, Rabbi Shlomo Katz and uh, Rabbi Jeremy Kippel talked about in their week's podcast uh, about the snakes, that was really fascinating. They were saying that the people of Israel's problem was, they were complaining, but the question is, like, why? Like, why would you complain about manna? So, like, the tradition holds that manna could literally taste about, like, anything that you wanted to taste. It's like, uh, you know, you see those uh, science fiction movies where they're like, well, just press a button, anything you imagine here. Like you the know? Matrix. Right, yes. I know
0: this isn't real estate, but Boy, it, it sure does taste like that. It does.
4: Um, and in, uh, and it, so manna was to be unbelievable. And so why would the people complain about the manna? Like, this is an odd thing to complain about. And um, so Rabbi Shlomo Katz was saying that, like, uh, it's his understanding, or maybe based on some other um, commentaries, I believe, he said, uh, that um, maybe with Rob Bacchia, something like that, that he was saying their, their complaint is they want to be like the nations. They're really tired of having to ask God for everything. Mm. They're tired of life being so dependent on prayer, and they have to beg God just for food. They kind of want to be able to just live life normally, and things are easy, and it comes to them the way it comes to everybody else. And we see this over and over again with the people of Israel, um, and probably us too, this desire to be like the nations, to kind of just I just, I don't feel like praying every day. Do I have to, you know? And, and, and that sense, and I understand, you know, when you, when you live a life um, in which you are praying regularly for things, sometimes you get tired of it. and You kind of feel like, I kind of would like this to just happen because I worked hard and now it's here. And, uh, and so that was kind of the critique of the people of Israel, that they took this as, an, as, as a, their lament wasn't so much they didn't like the taste of the manna, but more they didn't like the process of achieving it. They were tired of faith in God. They would like to just do it themselves. And so uh, Rabbi Gapel points out that over and over again, God just always, he's punishing the people of Israel with exactly what they wanted. Mm-hmm. You know, they say, oh, the, the, the land is too scary. Whoa, if only we died in the wilderness. Okay, fine. Mm-hmm. Sure, I can make that happen. You'll all <laughs> die in the wilderness. With the with the snakes, uh, what Rabbi Shlomo Katz is saying is that God's response was he took away his, his special power of protection. It's like, so, so you're tired of asking for food? You're tired of trusting me to protect you? You don't even know how much I protect you every second of every day. You're in the middle of the wilderness. Where are all the dangerous animals? And, you know, your shoes never wore out. And your clothes were always fine. There's no sun beating down on you. So what exactly... Oh, you, you want to be on your own?
0: Oh, okay. Well, let's just see how that goes. And, we've got, uh, and it doesn't work so well. We've got a firewall sales technique customer doesn't think they need a firewall, so you put a firewall in for 30 days for free. But you have it email the owner of the company for every attack that it stops. Absolute 100% guarantee at the end of the month this guy will not let you take that free firewall out of his office. Mm-hmm. Because now he recognizes what is be- what he's being protected from. Right.
4: And I think that, um, and that's what I guess the people of Israel had missed. So when the snakes come, what's their immediate response? Now they recognize, oh, we need, we close the most, talk to God on our behalf. We recognize now that this is, we were, um, we were wrong in wanting to do it ourselves. And, uh, and it's pretty amazing. This is kind of like not the only mistake this generation makes, but one of the few. Uh, they, like, they learned their lesson pretty well after this incident. And I, I was thinking about myself. It's, you know, earlier, as you mentioned at the beginning of this talk, discussion, that we are um, uh, we're having, our second child, and we're thrilled. We're getting to move into our new house. And That'd be your second house, second, second house, child, second child, second house, right?
1: House.
4: Yeah, exactly. It's a math thing. You know, it's, that's my wife's an accountant. It was on purpose. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, but the um, but I just I, I, every time we found out we were pregnant, I just the first that keeps coming back to me over and over again is um, from Genesis chapter 32 and uh, verse 10. It says, I am unworthy of all the loving kindness and of all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. For with my staff only, I crossed this Jordan and now I've become two companies. And that idea of, that should be our response. I was with Sophia earlier, that our response should be gratefulness to recognize the unbelievable amount of good things God has given to us on a regular basis. And if gratefulness really drives us, then when things are good, we won't forget God. We will thank him as we're commanded to do after we eat. But when things are bad, we won't curse God because we recognize that even when things are bad, what little we do have comes from him and that everything uh, happening to us is ultimately happening by his will. You mentioned earlier that the death of Aaron underscores the sovereignty of God. and The Psalms talk about the idea that you know, the death of his devoutness is precious to him. You know, i um. Uh, at the beginning of the prayer time, that uh, Isaac had um, his grandmother passed away, but they didn't catch that off guard. It wasn't a surprise to him. No, that's true. He and, and he and he doesn't do it flippantly. He treats death of the righteous as a precious thing, and he does it um, very much on purpose and with 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 love and care in mind. Um, and I think we have to remember when we go through these challenges, difficulties, is, is to grasp on that sense of gratefulness. I mean, it's amazing how many people in the secular world will talk about that, right? Like. Oh, well, you know, it changed my life. Gratefulness. Every morning I get up and I'm just, I list off to myself the things that I'm happy about, you know, the things that I'm grateful for. To the universe, To the universe, right, whatever. <laughs> but it's like just that sense that I have something good in my life. And I did not cause it. And I didn't deserve it. Right. It somehow was given to me, whether by fate or in our case by God, um, to recognize that by itself, even if you don't even acknowledge the one who gave it to you. Just that sense of thankfulness makes you healthier, more successful, happier, and, uh, and it really impacts their your life, and I think that's just, that, that really comes out of this portion. Yes, yeah, Shusha.
1: Um, I had this accident about six weeks ago, and basically, it, and what's really weird is that many, many people who have known me for many, many years say, how many more lives have you got Are there i gone yet? Yeah. <laughs> because I have had so many close calls with death, but we're... The thing is, it just makes the scripture so much more precious to see that it's his people that he puts through the hard things because he wants to train us. Mm. And also, I believe that he wants to prove to the enemy, because God's always fair, that we're real
4: Mm.
1: and that we're not fake.
4: Like Job.
1: Like a lot of people, like Job, but like a lot of people. And by the way... Jewish friends, most many of them don't even believe Job was a real man and they take it like fairy tale no. but to me, all the way through the New Testament why does it say? Greatly rejoice in all your troubles and tribulations why does it say that? because it's the same way and when I was in college, this will be the last thing I'll tell you when I was in college I was watching the track team run and at the end of the race the guys who win often pass out on the ground and I have a granddaughter that does the same thing she passes out when she wins the race. Why? Well, why do they like to do it then? Because they're getting stronger and stronger and stronger. The race exercise is to Yay. make us strong enough to be able to take the hard things. And as Jesus said, but don't forget, I've overcome the world.
4: Right. No, thank you, Shoshua. That's good. I think that um, I remember just watching a cooking show recently, and... Um, one of uh, rather relatively famous chef now. He's been on multiple cooking shows. around Sanchez. He was talking about how his father passed away when he was a young man, 12, something like that, fourteen. And he uh, his response to apparently it was not good. He didn't go into details, but it was not good. He said what changed his life was working in a kitchen that experience. That I guess he had you know kind of lost control of himself. And he said that discipline and that and that experience of, of uh, uh, was life-changing to kind of get a chance to to have something to do that you had to do and do it well and um so he he really kind of felt like in a way the discipline of, of cooking of working in food changed his life and i think i can't i can't count probably the number of times i've heard stories like that you know where you, you know, this person's talking about oh yeah i was i was on the paved road to hell or whatever else and but you go oh, boy tell you what i got i got a i got into the army or i got you know, I knew this guy, and he was tough with me, and he told me what was what, and whatever it was. And it's like, what do they want? They want that push. They want that challenge. They want discipline. And that, and that made their life feel meaningful and feel successful and give them um, purpose and, and drive. And that's something that's so healthy in us today. And uh, it's, it's amazing that in America today, we have microwaves, and everybody owns their own car, and everybody has their own cell phone, practically, that suicide is on the way up. And it's like you have this, well, what, what's depressing and what's sad? It's, it's lives that, are, that feel meaningless, that don't feel successful, that don't feel like they're going somewhere. And so much of that is, um, I'm not blaming people for suicide in that regard, but I feel like a lot of that is self-inflicted because I deal with that myself. When I get lazy and I let myself go, I feel badly about myself. I don't feel good. I don't feel strong. I don't feel healthy. And, um, and yet when life is, when life has a healthy challenge to it, that's, that's a good thing. That's, so that's what Shusha was talking about earlier, is we, you know, the this Torah portion. God puts things in our lives on purpose, um, to grow us, to mature us, because he knows we can handle it, um, and because he, he wants us to succeed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, oh, watch my son, you know, he, you know, he, he's, he's, getting a little tired or whatever else and he's trying to pull himself up you know off the ground to the I don't know chin level with the couch and he gets up there and he has the biggest grin on his face that you've ever seen if I were to help him up I'd be like oh whatever when he does it himself that that sense of accomplishment is just it's a huge feeling the uh,
0: the prayers talk about asking God to sanctify us with his commandments. And I find that his commandments are that sanctification process in our life. So there is something other than just running or you know other physical pursuits. But keeping those commandments is a methodical means of buckling down right, and uh, walking through life.
3: Mm-hmm. Great. The
0: other neat thing in this
3: uh, chumash, this cool chumash that talked about the snake attack was what we could learn from Moshe's prayer. And I thought this was cool because there's a pretty big section here all about this is essentially where a lot of the laws of forgiveness come from, Mm. where Rashi specifically says, from here we can learn that if a person asks you for forgiveness, you should not be cruel and refrain from forgiving. Because the people ask right away, Moshe, please ask God to forgive us and, and take these snakes away. And that is the very, like, Moshe doesn't even bat an eye. And that is exactly the next thing. Moshe prayed on behalf of the people. Like, it was instant. There was no thought. It wasn't like, well, I told you so, or you asked for God to take away the protection. There was nothing. And there was no statements like that. And I thought it was kind of cool to see how much Rambam has extrapolated from this regarding the laws of but Other things like, you, a person, a righteous person should not be uh, hard to, appease like we should be easy mm-hmm. to appease and be very very difficult to anger um, things like that but that's really neat because this is essentially saying Moshe is sort of a an, a great example or shares with us a great example of forgiveness and that is exactly what we see with shua too one of the things that he was most known for probably throughout the episode scriptures is how amazing he was with forgiveness and his lessons about that were like pretty unbelievable I remember a pretty prominent rabbi saying his one difficulty with the apostolic scriptures was the fact that it says that Jesus says you're to love your enemies. He's like, I, I don't, I don't see that anywhere else in the, yeah. in the Torah. I have a problem with that. But I mean, that just goes to show the
4: extent that Yeshua takes forgiveness mm-hmm. and and his his love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I mean, it is the Torah. There is there is reference there. But I understand there is a struggle in Judaism about like how you forgive people who are who are evil. There
3: was something about helping your enemies. Uh, you know, that was I right. brought that up too, but there's nothing about loving specifically. Yeah, well, it's especially a, you, on the same level as like loving your neighbor,
4: and it kind of almost feels like you know some of the famous rabbis are known for like a thing. you know, yeah. definitely kind of feels like Yeshua's thing was like his love and forgiveness for mm-hmm. so many people, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, you're right, and I think that this um, this portion it's interesting. It has that both those angles, you know. So on the one hand, you have this sense of immediate forgiveness for the people for sin, but then there's also this switch justice. I mean, the uh, so the Canaanite shows up, the tradition that's actually Amalek, disguised as Canaanites because it says the Canaanite came from the south and uh, the south is where the Amal- Amalekites lived and uh, the Amalekites, we, uh, we're we familiar with them in a couple of places. We get the whole uh, attack the the back of the people in uh, in, in, in Exodus where we, you know, I'm not supposed to forget this, but then also we see the people of Israel rebel against God, they go and they go and try to go land, just leave and it doesn't work so well and I believe it's the Amalekites who fight them off. So the clouds of glory leave. Aaron dies, and the Amalekites strike, or the Canaanites. Have you read that? But the point is that they attacked, and um, and boy, the people of Israel's response. Wow, I mean they 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 come back to God, and they they say there's one person who's taken, one guy, and they come back to God, and they say. We won't keep fighting for ourselves. Just let us wipe these guys out. And uh, it's it's it, it's like. I mean, it is the it's the it's the prayer version of Liam Neeson's phone call on Taken. You know, <laughs> I'm going to find you, and I'm going to kill you.
1: I mean, that's basically what happens here. They
4: steal one. They steal one person. Tradition holds it's a handmade. And the uh, and the people of Israel as a nation. like uh, 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 Nachshon Fleisher was really emphasizing how cool it was as a nation. They're galvanized as a people. The whole people says. We're not going to let them take one person of ours. You know, there's the, the whole uh, don't leave anyone behind thing in the, in the U.S. military. And there's a lot of, there's a challenge of, Marine Corps. how uh, U.S. Marine Corps, how, how far do you take that? And you see, like, uh, the movie Saving Private Ryan asked that question. Is it worth sending eight guys to the middle of uh, enemy territory to go that save is. one guy? And, and the movie's kind of ambiguous in a lot of ways, but at the very end, well, without saying everything, the point is... The implies that the answer is yes. Um, that the answer is yes, and I think that that's that's a value that the people of Israel hold. Um, sometimes they were supposed to it, get uh, invite some criticism. They, they they gave up a thousand terrorists for one guy at one time, but that's how much they value just one person. And uh, and you just love that that intensity, that swift justice to respond back and say this was absolutely wrong. It's like Jephthah in our in our Haftar. He tells the people of Ammon, he's like. Well, I don't I don't want to have to be you. I mean, it, it really, it doesn't. It's like this is just ridiculous. You know, if you all, I'll let you walk away. I mean, I you know, you, you're wrong. I'm right, but I'm 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 going to let bygones be bygones. Just just you know, step back. It's and like, they don't. And he goes in and he takes like a half their territory along the
0: way. It's like uh, Jack Reacher. Reconsider. <laughs> yeah. Think twice with this. Have you thought about? Um, I, I was struck by the fact that one guy was taken in that raid. But they don't know. And it just kind of makes you wonder about all these other single guys, right? So there was everybody taking, and one guy escapes, and he gets back to Abraham to let him know, right? And the only guy that escaped, all the people that have been taken, including Lot, your, you know, your nephew and so or, or the one guy that was carrying sticks on Shabbat. Right. These, these unnamed one-guy stories are extraordinary throughout the scripture, you know? It yeah. really is. In this
4: case, it's one guy that gets taken and they, they go back and... Uh, Kiktukas, mm-hmm. so to speak. Um, us being the uh, Aramaic. The Yiddish the, <laughs> the yeah. word there. Um, the, uh, <laughs> it's interesting, too, though, that a lot of people of Israel, and this is something that I think you, you definitely get from the Torah, and it's something that i think that liberals don't understand and some conservatives get wrong in the opposite direction and that is that you always start at peace you always strive to avoid conflict because conflict is not good we're not warmongers. we don't want to fight but when you fight you fight to win
0: Finish. amen
4: and that's exactly what you see at the end of this tour portion with the war with the uh, Nog. they, they the motion the, starts by saying you get sense peace and the the commentators go wait it, that God didn't say to do that. Like, you know, is they're related to them, so he's required to tell them, "Hey, we want to go through your land. We just want to be great. If you let us go through, And they know, when they have to back away because they're not allowed to fight them. But the Amorites, they those were on the list, right? so they're allowed to go in and just take their take over. But Moses doesn't do that. Moses starts by saying, "Look, I, yeah, just let me walk through. It's not a big deal. It'll be great. Um, uh, we won't touch anything. We'll pay you back for anything we use. Just let us cross." And uh, tradition holds that, that Sichon was like the, the guardian of the land of Canaan. He's outside of the Jordan. And so basically he sees that it's like uh, if he lets the people of Israel through, he's kind of failed in his mission, right? So it's, he has to fight them. But they said that like uh, his, uh, he's like, he's elite. I mean.
0: Or did you read the Midrash? I mean, this guy's like humongous.
4: Well, that's oh, because that's a, that's a giant. Sichon as well is, yeah. is, is, is elite. And uh, they said that his. By, it, there's a commentary that says if, if he had been in an unwalled, weak village, no one would have been able to take it, he, he and his army. If pathetic puny guys had been in the city of Cheshbon, nobody would have been able to take it. It's like this fortress city. But now you got the super army inside the super city, and it's like, it's invincible. There's no one. No one can stop them. And, uh, and so the people of Israel walk up, and... Um, and 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 Sihon comes out to fight them, and they win, like incredibly easily. They wipe them all out. Back the tradition holds that like they wanted to, they wanted to keep Chespan intact. So God was gracious enough to lure all the warriors out of the city, so that way they could just wipe them out in the plains. Um, it's one you know it's one thing when you when you play with your food before you eat it. So it's <laughs> like, <laughs> we don't want to beat you. We want to beat you in a way that's beneficial to us. <laughs> uh, but Og, it's interesting that oh you mentioned the survivor thing, the one guy. That's what I'm getting to. So Og is a giant. Uh, they say that, I think later in Numbers or something, yeah. or in Deuteronomy, they reference the size of his bed. Apparently this guy mm-hmm. was enormous. He was so big, he had to sleep in an iron bed. Mm-hmm. Because anything less than that, I guess, would have collapsed beneath his weight. There's a tradition that says that he tries to throw a mountain at the people of Israel during the conflict. False you know, it's like this, uh, yeah. uh, it's basically, it's like the incredible Hulk, but maybe not so green.
1: Mm-hmm. And
4: um, Og, uh, interesting, a tradition holds that Og is the survivor. From Abraham. The reason why Novos is a little nervous about fighting Og is he's afraid that Og has a certain degree of blessing in his life. The guy, is, first off, is insanely old. Um, but more importantly, he uh, tradition holds that they go in the, the the five kings and they wipe out the Rephaim, these giants. And then later it says that the survivor, and it's weird. I think it's a, I think it is a singular the survivor. Comes to Moses and tells him about Lot, Lot being captured. Abraham. Abra- I'm sorry, Abraham, yeah, not Moses, thank you. Abraham. And so tradition holds is that the, the survivor, Og, what's fascinating at the end of this week's Torah portion, says they talk about Og, they struck him down as well as his sons and all his people. No survivors remained. It's nice. we finished the job this time. Mm, yay! Um, but I think this, this week's Torah portion to me, it just really emphasizes that um, that balance, that balance of peace and that balance of justice. And that God is forgiving, as, as Greg was saying, and that God doesn't want for the wicked to perish, but that God is not slow when it comes to justice. And, and he uses his people to meet it out, and it is quick, and it is effective, and, you know, it's, it's like you were, um, uh, people were talking about, you know, like the snakes, like Leisha was saying, it's like it's a note. It's a big sign. Repent, you know. Stop. But um, the people of Israel are the only ones who really seem to get an opportunity to repent. You know it's like that um, their their punishment seems to come faster, but it's intended for them to repent. Right. When the nations get punished, it, it doesn't. There's not usually a second chance. Well, it's like Joshua was saying, it's to make them stronger. Right. In faith. Right. Exactly. So I think that. Um, yeah, anyway, I, I like the fact that this this tour portion has both it has that sense of peace and that sense of that conflict because I think I think there's a healthy place for that.
3: There was cool commentary about the peace part from Aaron in the double mountain. I didn't yeah. notice that like until I read this this uh, Mount Hor. Yeah, right. The, like it's the in Hebrew it sounds so funny. You know, you probably would make you pause and go, Wait, what was that word? But they, you know, it's like double mountain. Hor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Right. Yeah. And uh, the, the I love the commentary about it, though. It talk, so they, they go into talking about, like, why was this different? Why was this mountain? was was two mountains supposed to mean, you know? And they talk about how, uh, uh, let's see, it says, this is because, so um, when it talks about Moshe was buried on a single mountain, Aaron was buried on a double mountain, one of the big reasons for that, or explanations for that, was this is because that Aaron promoted love between people that argued and between man and his wife, which was a quality he excelled in to a greater extent than Moshe. Uh, apparently that was a some commentary from Rashi from Deuteronomy 34.8. But I, I think that, that, again, just goes to emphasize, like, even though there was definitely some big mistakes uh, with Aaron, and uh, that, that still There was this amazing honor of him Mm -hmm. towards the end. And because of his teaching the people through Mm -hmm. example, through his lessons of peace. peace. It's fascinating
4: that really Aaron and Moses both, it seems like their biggest mistakes were actually out of their attributes that were their strengths. Because Moses, you get their striking the rock in this week's Torah portion, really comes from, I think, his sense of justice. The guy was tired of people that were complaining. They were a mess. He, he. You can hear the anger in his voice, and it's not. You know, he's not just upset. He's not emotional. I mean, this is a man who told God, "Blot me out, save them." Yeah. So clearly, it's not. He's not just yeah. had it. It. But I, I, think it has to do with he, he was the lawgiver. You know, he's the guy. He's all they'd say, Moses is justice. Moses represents justice. You know, Aaron represents peace. Aaron represents mercy. But we see the, the, the way it goes too far is the golden calf. The you know, tradition holds that. The reason why Aaron kind of goes along with it to some degree is he's trying to keep the people from from mutiny, from mutiny and, and, and killing all the leaders and Gen just divorces. doing it anyway. So he's like, he's like well, they're going to do it either way, so I might as well kind of like stall as much as I can and hopefully Moses will get here. And so the, the Midrash, there's some Midrash that take his words literally that he just, he tried throwing all the gold in the fire to see if that, just get it out of the way. Then out, you know, out that came this the calf time. and it's like, oh, that didn't work. <laughs> He but the, the point, though, is say that Aaron's mistake there, really, is that he, he takes them down this path, but he's only doing it to try to keep the peace. And I think that that's um, such an important lesson for us because sometimes we find um, character traits that we're good at, things that God has blessed us with that are positives. Um, we have to be wary because sometimes those can go in the opposite direction. We can use them the wrong way. And, and uh, over, over the course of our life, God is... In the same way that in this portion, we see that balance... You know, at the beginning of the portion is talking about how to cleanse from death. The image of resurrection. And then you have all this death. And in this portion we have offerings of peace and forgiveness. And we also have this portion we have conflict and war. And it's like, God, as you see in the scriptures, he is, he's always perfectly balanced. There's never like, he never is um, over-emphasizing, over overcompensating for one characteristic. As humans, our mistake tends to be that. You know, we... We really believe that it's most important that we love our neighbors, so, well, we'll let them do whatever they want. In fact, well, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll bake the cake for your homosexual wedding or whatever. You know? That's, sometimes that, that becomes our response because we're striving so hard for peace. Or our response is, well, justice, only justice. In fact, we should probably start throwing rocks at all the people we disagree with, you know, or whatever mm-hmm. it might be. And, and, you, and, and both sides are ultimately wrong. You take it too far. So you have to have that, that divine balance because both are necessary. Well, it's like you were talking about several weeks ago, where uh, when, we, when we
2: want to do things with our children, we could just do it, but oftentimes take time in order to have the relationship. Mm-hmm. And, and it's the same way. And actually, in the, there's a commentary in here talking about the, the actual uh, super rational commands from the thought God, and it talks about two words that are used, and Hasidic thought being uh, the the balance between the two. Uh, uh, Ratsu and, and Shuv, and that it's it's a it's a, uh, it's a pulse so in the same way all of our strengths will be back where we fail mm. our strengths will be where we fail uh, but God wants a relationship and so he wants us to use our strengths and when we when we, want to, when we want to strike on our own that's when we make failures with the things that we think we're good at right. which is exactly what the people ask for they're really good fighters. They really are, and, but God lets them fail unless he's participating with them. Mm. And so it's the same way. God wants a relationship with them, so he wants them to use their strengths, but he wants them to use them with him.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really interesting to me, when you come to the New Testament, and you know the English <coughs> language <coughs> sort of changes the Torah. Um, because it says in the Torah, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your very," which is the, the moed, which has the idea of something you're very good at, and they—that's what they call in English the strength, your strength. So it's not loving God with your muscles or loving God with that; it's loving with what He specifically gifted you with sure. that needs to be directed in the right way. Sure. And I think that's where we get our strengths, our weakness. Mm-hmm. Because when you think you're strong, you're going to be weak. Because basically, the things that we are strong in are probably flesh-led. Mm-hmm. And then we have to be, but they're gifts from God that we need to train to go in the right Absolutely. direction.
4: Right, and I think that goes back to were talking about earlier about the gratefulness, right? You know, if we recognize and we're thankful to God for the strengths He's given us, and we recognize that those are gifts.
1: and Paul said, I glory in my weakness. Right,
4: well, and it comes both mm-hmm. ways. I mean, ultimately, we... But
1: our, my weakness is my strength.
4: Right, where he is able to work through us, and at the same time, I think too that where God does give us strong points, and I think that's you see in the, in all the talks with the spiritual gifts. I really think a lot of that is spiritual strong points that God's given each of us. Um, we're meant to use those, but we're meant as Paul talks about in the book of Romans, we're meant to use them the right way. And I think you know, so much as um, raising, uh, raising children, you just see that so much. You can see what they're good at maybe mm-hmm. what they're not so good at but you want them to use what they're good at for good because you can sometimes see them use what they're good at for, for evil you know mm-hmm. um, you have a strong you know, a strong child they can sometimes also be rebellious and it's like you, but you but you can also see the potential for leadership and the potential for um, for, for challenging uh, evil and darkness and you want them to do that and I think that's that's that journey that God has us on to sort of learn to To work these out, to balance them out, to the people of Israel's credit, I think one of the things that stands so much in this week's Torah portion, they they really they learn so much. This they they this group of Israel was so good at repenting, but they they made some terrible mistakes. But boy, when they made mistakes, they didn't make them a second time. And they at the end after the first battle with the Canaanites, right after that, they start complaining about the manna, and you can kind of sense that the battle kind of drained them. Maybe they were concerned because they had someone taken captive, and it's like, well, maybe. God's not really with us, and this isn't fair, whatever it might be. Well, at the end of the Torah portion, what do you get? You get this fight with, uh, with Og and Sihon, and it's like, there's no hesitation. There's no sense, like, oh, this isn't good. In fact, the commentary in the, uh, the Gutnik Hamash at the beginning of the portion says, isn't it odd that it kind of looks like the sin of the spies again? Because the spies went in, and they kind of overstepped their mandate, and then in this week's portion, at the end, Moses sends in spies, and this is instead of spying out the land, they just conquered the villages. You gotta love those guys, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like, I want you to go check and see what's going on. They're like, ah, we don't even need to tell the rest of the people. We'll just go ahead and take them now.
2: Our report is the city is ours. <laughs> <laughs> the city is ours. <laughs> we saw we came. We but then, uh, so the
4: the, the the commentator he goes, wait, wait, are we are we going back to the city of the spies? Like this? Uh, no, actually, the people we'll the people were were undoing the, sin of the spies. Mm-hmm. They were they were reversing the process instead of instead of uh say, instead of re- going outside their mandate and using it as an opportunity to say, I don't I can't take what God wants me to take. They instead went in and go, Why stop at spying? Let's just go ahead and take it. And and that and that again, that sense of repentance is just really uh, beautiful and powerful as we see it in this portion. Amen. Amen. Final comments. Dad, would you post us some prayer? Father,
2: we thank you that you are a good and gracious God and that you have given us opportunity to repent. We thank you for the, uh, the visions of Messiah that we have in your word. We thank you for the blessing of knowing that you have uh, called us to uh, take the things, the weaknesses in our life and take the strengths and surrender them all to you in order to be your servant. We thank you uh, for Shabbat. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Amen.